that worship set and after that video, I don't, I don't know if I need to go to war or like it just ready to do something about this faith that we have, right? I mean, uh, thank you guys so much for being so intentional with those songs. It's just perfect. Uh, lines up perfectly um, with where we're heading today as we just take an honest and candid look at our salvation and our need for it. That's where we are brought to here in 1 Timothy chapter 1. And so uh, we're going to jump into that. But I, I do want to take a moment just here at the start, especially as we think about salvation. One, to just praise the Lord for um, Dave Gregg. Many of you guys didn't know him. Um, some of you did. He was a longtime member here at FBN, went to our first service. And I'll just be praying for him as he's now with the Lord, be praying for his family. And uh, that they would just, uh, just feel the, the sustenance of, of just God's grace. But he is with the Lord, right? So we, we grieve with them and we also just celebrate because he has this hope of salvation. He's with the Lord, right? Uh, he's with the Lord. And so we just praise God for that. That's just such a, such a truth that people so, so need is a hope beyond this life, right? But I also want to take today to just uh, acknowledge just briefly um, the fact that tomorrow is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Kids are out of school. Banks are shut down. And rightfully so. This man was amazing, right? And and I want to just take a moment to just honor him and honor his ministry um, that he brought to to the conditions of his day that speak into the conditions of our day, right? In a world full of just kind of bitterness, um, there, there is a way to go about it that is militant, and franchised, and it just wasn't his way. It just wasn't his way. Listen to this quote from him. Uh, By opening our lives to God in Christ, we become new creatures. This experience, which Jesus spoke of as the new birth, is essential if we are to be transformed nonconformists. I love that. He goes on to say, only through an inner spiritual transformation do we gain the strength to fight vigorously the evils of the world in a humble and loving spirit. Humble and loving spirit, right? That was his way. He did it right. Um, I think we have a lot of, it's just organizations and activists who like to just say that their, their, their activism is on his coattails. But listen, he was powered and fueled by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was his mission and that was his goal, right? And so today we, we thank God for his activism. We thank God for what was even behind that activism, which was a belief in Jesus Christ, a belief in Jesus Christ in a ministry of the gospel. And so we're grateful to God uh, for him and many others like him who, who fight for reconciliation and for justice, justice, but they do it right, right? And so uh, we're grateful for that. Listen, let's have a word of prayer. Um, after everything going on, I just definitely don't want me to be the distraction from what God's doing. So let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll jump into our, our content for today. God, thank you so much for the time that we have <clears throat> to be together, to be in your word, to worship, to celebrate, to be encouraged in this glorious, immense salvation that you have purchased for us by the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you for uh, the ability to worship in that. Thank you for the, uh, for the hope of people like Dave and people like Martin Luther King Jr. and people who had the salvation in their lives and it fueled all that they did. We pray for, for the others who are trying to, who trying to just navigate the paths of this world uh, in your grace. I pray that they would be encouraged today. For others who don't know what they believe as they hear what true Christianity is and what this salvation is about. God, that you would remove the blinders that are in their hearts and that they might receive you today. And do this work among us. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. So like I said, I don't want to distract from what God's doing. And so my intro today is probably going to do that right away as I talk about Everybody Loves Raymond. 
right? Anybody see that sitcom? Um, Everybody Loves Raymond uh, is a show that Kenzie and I have been watching. I remember watching it as a kid with my parents. Of course, as a kid, I didn't realize how terrible of a person Ray is, right? If you've seen that show, he's like one of the most selfish people, selfish characters that has ever existed, and every predicament is centered around his selfishness. But there's one particular episode that Kenzie and I watched um, where he's under attack from the family because he's the only one who won't go to church, right? And so you can imagine how he would respond to that. His wife says, do you even still consider yourself a Catholic? To which he responds, of course. Uh, Being Catholic is like being Italian or being sexy. You can't change that, right? That's his response. And he goes on to give another, like, flood of jokes, right? Um, Of course I'm still Catholic. Catholic. I mean, you go to church all the time, and since I'm married to you, then it counts for me too, right? Or his knees hurt from all the kneeling. He has all these excuses for not going. But then he gets kind of serious, and he says this. Listen, I practice being good every day. I'm a decent fellow. I do good things. I'm a big tipper. I swerve for squirrels on the road. I'm considerate of others, to which he goes on to explain, remember that time that that plumber came over with the big eye? I treated him as a normal person, right? That's his definition of considerate. But then he says this, why do I need to go to church to prove my goodness? I'm living it. Why do I need to go to church to prove my goodness? I am living it. His wife perfectly responds. She says, well, since you are so good, maybe we should have everybody come over here on Sundays and sit around you, right? Um, You don't think that's funny? I think that's funny. Okay. Anyways, as ridiculous as Ray is, right, his thoughts on faith are far from uncommon. I'm sure you've heard this before. In fact, there's studies that show uh, one example in 2020, Dr. George Barna, who's a a well-known Christian research specialist. He he works with the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. He conducted a study that found that almost half of U.S. adults who consider themselves Christians believe that if a person is generally good or does enough good things, that they will earn God's acceptance. Half of people who call themselves Christians. That's what the study found. It also found that nearly half, uh, just slightly more than half of of U.S. adults who call themselves Christians consciously and consistently attempt to avoid sin because they know it offends God, right? Only half of people take sin that seriously. I think this is very interesting knowledge, right? Right? Because the trend is, (coughs) excuse me, if sin is not a threat worth taking seriously, and if I can just ease my way into God's good graces over time by my own goodness, then this salvation that we sing about and that we talk about and that we celebrate, well, it's really not that big of a deal, is it? It must not be. Turns out the chasm between God and man isn't really that big if I could just cross over it half-mindedly. Right? It's like treating, and treating sin like a stub toe rather than stage four cancer of the soul, which means the death of a savior really wasn't that big of a deal if necessary at all. The trend, uh, certainly in our country, even among those who call themselves Christians, is a very minor view of their own salvation, a very minor view of salvation. And if your view of salvation is minor, then so is your durability. And the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy with the desire to help Timothy's durability in the faith. Timothy, like all of us, we have limitations in our lives. Timothy seemed to be prone to timidity, to fear, maybe uh, didn't like conflict so much. At least that's what we can 
kind of gather from the book of 2 Timothy. And listen, we all have limits as well, don't we? We all have struggles. We all have things that kind of uh, hold us back. But we also, like Timothy, have something in our possession that is limitless. It has no bounds. It is powerful. It is immense. And it's the same thing Timothy had. And it's the same thing that you have if you are here and you believe in Jesus Christ. And it is your salvation. It is your salvation. And the stronger we are in understanding the major qualities and value and nature of our salvation, the more durable we are to stand for it in this world. And so that's what the context is of our passage today. And that's what Chris is going to read for us. Chris, if you want to uh, come up, we're going to read from 2 Timothy chapter 1. He's going to read verses 8 through 10. Uh, we're going to focus our time on 9 through 10, but he's going to read verse 8 as well for context. And so if you are capable, would you stand for the reading of God's word this morning? Good morning, Chris. How are you? Good morning. So never be ashamed to tell others about the, our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we, he des, we deserved it, but because that is, is his plan from before the beginning of time, to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. And now he has made all this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. He broke the power of, of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. Awesome. Thank you so much. You can have a seat. Please hold your spot there uh, in 2 Timothy. We're going to jump around here at the start, and we're going to come back to this um, for the second half of this, of this message. But I figured since um, we are talking about the immense nature of our salvation, an essential piece to that conversation must be our immense need for it. After all, what good is a salvation that you don't need, right? Um, there is a trend in kind of modern-day Christianity to just kind of be hype enough to, like, to let our hype get us into the way of the church and the way of Christ where we're celebrating the salvation of everybody else without ever actually receiving it ourselves, right? We're part of it, but we're not, we're not really in it. And so we need to understand that the sin that everybody else has and has found salvation in Christ for, right, they're celebrating it because, because they have found salvation, and we also are sinners. We're broken, right, and we need a Savior. We've got to talk about the need. And so what is the immense need that we have? Why do we need a Savior? And there's a few passages I want us to point it to uh, that just have some uh, uh, perfect describing words to talk about kind of your B.C. life, right? Before Christ, what is life? And so here we go, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 5. And please be warned, these are not fun, but they are a reality. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Like I said, not fun. Dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedience. So, to put two and two together, apart from Christ, we are dead in our sins, and our lives are in accordance with this world, which operates in accordance with the prince of the air, who is Satan himself, as the Bible says. Apart from Christ, you are bound to his system, and you are heading to death. Okay? Verse 3, we too 
all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children of under wrath as the others were also, because that's what Satan's system does. It binds you to your own head and your own heart and your own flesh. It's the same thing he did with Eve in the garden, right? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He helped her see that she wanted to be God. And that's what it binds us to. And the result is we're kicked out of the garden. The result for us is that we become children under wrath on the path to hell. But God, verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespass. You are saved by grace. Praise God. The reality apart from Christ is grim and hopeless and empty. But God. Colossians chapter 1 verses 21 and 22 gives us some more. And there's more passages you can go to. But for the sake of time I just picked a few. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds as expressed in your evil actions. Because if you're bound to a world who's bound to his system, Satan's system, then what it produces is disobedience and evil actions. And this creates an alienation between you and God. That's why we talk about this chasm, this divide between man and God. And this uses the word hostile. Hostile. But verse 22, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. Praise God. Apart from Christ, we have no hope. Apart from Christ, we are bound to hostility against God. We are bound to our own evil actions and bound to our own uh, uh, allegiance to a world who bows to Satan. And hell is the end of that story. Like I said... It's miserable apart from Christ. But God, but Christ, right? We have this hope. But listen, you're not going to hear these verses expounded on a lot. It's, derf, it's definitely not very PC these days. You're not going to hear it from a televangelist. You're not going to hear it from a lot of uh, popular, modern, hype-driven worship leaders and, and Christian leaders. To tell people that they are actually apart from Christ, and if they are apart from Christ, that they are hostile and disobedient and living according to a world that bows to Satan and is heading for hell is not usually our first approach when we're sharing the love of Christ to people, right? We prefer the ways where we don't have to really acknowledge their sin. But listen, if you're going to truly understand the salvation that you have, then you have to understand that in salvation, you must have a confrontation with your own sinfulness. You can't just celebrate with everybody else's salvation and expect that that works for you too. You have to have a confrontation with your own sin. And as Jesus heals you and saves you from your own sin, that's how you have salvation. And then you can celebrate freely with songs like we sang today in the salvation that you have in Christ Jesus. Now, uh, we went, uh, as a few, well, I guess it was around Christmas time, we went to the annual banquet for uh, Wabash Valley Teen and Adult Challenge. You guys know this ministry. We partnered with them. We love it when they attend with us because you got a, a group of guys here who are, who are coming out of the, the depths of addiction. That's what this ministry is about, right? And we love this ministry because God has just, the success rates that they produce are unreal amazing, right? 
And so there's this man, uh, his name's Reverend Trout, and he's, he's leaving uh, Wabash Valley Teen and Adult Challenge to go be a pastor um, somewhere else. But this is, this, we had the opportunity to hear from this guy. Meek, humble, just wonderful man. And he started the Wabash Valley branch of Wabash Valley Adult and Teen Challenge. And so he answered the question, why are you guys so successful? That's what he was answering. And he said this. He said, people ask why Teen Challenge is so effective. And he said, it's because people come into the program with addiction. We don't talk about it. People come into the program with addiction, and we never talk about it, is what he said. And I was like, whoa. He went on to say, we talk about sin, and we talk about hell, and we talk about the hope of Jesus Christ. Because they understand that addiction is not the cause. It's the byproduct of the real cause, which is sin. And what that does is unleash these men into a two-year intensive discipleship program where they just have uh, a full-out confrontation of sin and Jesus, and they get to know Jesus. And that's what heals them. It's Amazing, isn't it? At some point, we have got to connect that all that is wrong uh, around us and and among us and, and from us even stems from something wrong that is in us, and that is not a popular message today. I think most people see the wrong in the world without seeing much wrong in themselves, and this is why many good yet godless people struggle to see how their disregard of God, as kind and as polite as their disregard might be, makes them hostile to the gospel, as it says in Colossians 1. Sure, it's not always a hostility of violence and aggression, But it is a hostility of pride and disregard and self-worship. And so let's talk about that. In Romans chapter 8, verses 7 and 8, it talks about this hostility. And it says, the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit. It does not submit to God's law. This is disregard. Indeed, it is unable to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. I think a lot of people think that, you know, uh, people go to hell because, or if people go to hell, that this is God's problem. This is God's misjustice, not theirs. But listen, I, I understand the heart behind that, I think, but this is an extremely arrogant point of view. And it is completely disregarding of God's supreme and perfect nature. Now listen, to live under the truth of A perfectly good, supreme, holy God defined by love, and then to possess in your own nature everything opposite of that, right? A broken spirit, bound to your own lust, bound to a world that bows uh, to Satan, headed for hell. Then based on his wonderful nature and your nature, the complete discompatibility, even a kind disregard is a hostile one and a deadly one. Even a kind disregard is a hostile one and even deadly one. And regardless of how anyone feels about your own goodness, about your own hostility as you would define it, when it comes to holiness and perfection, God is like the blazing sun and we are dried up twigs in comparison. This is the contrast between his nature of holiness and perfection and, 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 and beauty compared to ours. It is a complete incompatibility between you and God. And if our entire existence is spent banking on thinking that we as twigs can be good enough to be in God's blazing presence, then your view of God is far too low and your view of self is far too high. And this is hostile in the eyes of God and rightly so. But we have got to also understand this. God saw all of this ahead of the the game. He knows the incompatibility well. Right? He knows it. 
And instead of us carrying the impossible pressure of becoming like the sun, he made himself a twig like all of us other twigs. But he wasn't all dried up inside like we are. He had the nature of the sun burning in him. And when he was executed on the cross, God felt death on our behalf. And then Jesus rose again three days later, proving to all of us twigs that we also, as twigs, can bear the nature of God by believing in Christ and surrendering our lives to him. Amen? This is the only way to salvation. You can't paint a twig yellow and throw it into the sun and expect it to survive. Your appearance of goodness and deeds and religion, it has no effect on your nature. But if you believe in Jesus, he imparts his own nature to you. That's the salvation we have. That's the need that we have for it. That's why we celebrate. That's why we well up with tears in our eyes when we sing about his salvation. Because we know that apart from him, there is nothing and we're headed to something miserable. That's why we celebrate. And so, we'll shift our focus from our need, which is immense, to the even more immense nature of salvation that we have in Jesus. And we see that here in 2 Timothy, starting in verse 9, we see the immense nature of his salvation through his calling on our lives. Look with me at verse 9. He says, he has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which he has given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Right? There is this calling that is part of our salvation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, it says that God is faithful. You were called by him into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The immensity of our salvation starts long before we often think, right? I think that's what I think about with his call. I think many of us can track our salvation back to maybe a moment when the Holy Spirit opened our eyes to our need and we put our belief in Jesus as our Savior. For me, I can track this all the way back to when I was no older than my girls are now, seven or eight, and I snuck a peek of this movie that my parents were watching, which was Last of the Mohicans. I've never seen that movie since then, but I do remember the scene where the guy's getting burnt alive. I remembered it like it was yesterday, Right? Scared the hell out of me, literally, right? That was it. People say you can't, go to, you can't go to heaven by just being scared out of hell. But well, for me, that was a great part of my salvific experience. And then I went to my mom, freaked out, and I was like, can I fight off the demons in hell? And she was like, no, but you can trust in Jesus. And she led me to the Lord. By the way, she turned 60 yesterday. So happy birthday, mom. She's here today. So, yeah, she led me to the Lord. I remember that moment, right? I remember that like it was yesterday. But that was not the first time God thought about saving me. Right? I mean, God was way ahead of that game. Right? He brought people into their lives to lead them to the Lord. And they made a good deposit in my life. This says that he started that way back before time began is what he says in verse 9. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. That's how long back it goes. Your calling, if you're here in Jesus Christ, he had your name on his lips before time was a thing. Before time was a thing, he knew, he knew you. He had your name on his lips. You might have confessed your sin. You might have called on his name for salvation, but he's the one who gave you every single thing to heed that holy call on your life. And we think about this, we often we hear it referred to as God affectionately drawing his people to him. Right, this, this idea of predestination and election and just God's sovereign, uh, sovereign control over all things to bring people into saving faith to himself. And he is the one who does that work. 
And listen, the point of this is that, that it is Paul's intention to encourage Timothy in his own faith and his own ministry that is filled with chaos. Right? And so when Paul tells Timothy that his purpose and his call can be traced back all the way time, but before time began, would that not produce a deep well of encouragement for Timothy? Wouldn't it for you? Right? When we read about this truth in the New Testament, the point of it is not to breed this weird elitism, contentiousness, theological bullying that is often found in like, you know, modern kind of like young Reformation kind of stuff. That, that wasn't the point at all. The point was to encourage individuals and churches facing dramatic opposition and persecution that was so common in the early church. It's encouraging. It's uplifting. Listen, if you lived in a situation where your standing for faith meant the potential harm or death of you or a family member, then it really, really helps to know that God called you and prepared you for such a time. And if he had a plan for your life since before time began, then he has a plan for your life in whatever the outcome is going to be of this. Right? Whether you're being persecuted or whether you're just trying to get through Sunday, you're trying to get through family life, you're just trying to get through you know, a work situation or a marital situation, whatever it is, the same is true. He had your name on his lips before time began. He, he has it all. You can be encouraged to know that it's going to be okay. You can trust his promises to know that it's going to be okay. He's already, he, he's already way ahead of the game. That's one of the parts of the immense nature of his salvation is his calling, but also his gift, right? Look again with me at verse 9. It says, he has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which is given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. There is this giftedness of grace, this giftedness of purpose. Paul says here that this call is not in accordance with our works at all but it's fully in accordance with the gifts of his grace and purpose. This is what we call justification by faith. It is one of the major tenets of, of our belief, primary to who we are. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, for you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7, I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of my power. No, that's not what he says. Working of God's power. His power. That's how it comes. That's the gift. If you could earn it, then it's not a gift, right? But it's a gift. The New Testament, by the way, uh, the word for this grace literally means favor or, or inclination. And this means that God has actually a favorable disposition towards all who believe in Christ Jesus. Doesn't mean that he doesn't care about the world because he certainly does. He loves all of his creation, desires all to come to repentance for sure. But even so, how can he not look, upon, look with favor upon those who bear the sacrifice and name of his own son? How could he not? It is his grace that is a gift and that saves. It is a gift that sustains each and every one of us. It is a gift that cannot be earned, but it is given according to his generosity and in alignment with his purpose in our lives. His grace also reminds us constantly of the gospel of Christ, and it kind of keeps us on point, right? So if you're here and you've, you've been down, you've been depressed, you understand the feelings of spiritual attack, you've felt weak, you've been in that miry pit that it talks about in the Psalms, right? You've been there. It is his grace that reminds us that freedom has already been granted in the blood of Jesus Christ. And so instead of feeling the need once again to claw your way out of the pit, his grace just raises the ground you're standing on. 
makes it level so you can just keep walking in the purpose that he's called for you. And listen, this is so important. This giftedness is so important because we live in a world without grace and without purpose. This is what so many people feel. This is what their existential experience is in this world. Without grace and without purpose. In a world without grace, in a world without purpose, what an immense gift it is to live in the confidence that we have forged by his grace and purpose in our lives. It's what we have. Listen, we have it. What an immense tragedy it is that there's so many people who don't. What an immense burden it is to try to navigate this life without it. As my wife says, it's no wonder why people drink. You try to navigate life without the hope of Jesus Christ, without the sense of purpose, without grace. It's hard. They don't know it's hard sometimes, but it's hard. And so that brings us to verse 10 because... Anything given to us is not to remain in us, right? That's what Brett said last week, actually. Anything that God has given us, a.k.a. the gospel, was never meant to remain in us. And one of the immense parts of our salvation is this burden, right, to not just keep the salvation and champion it and to celebrate it, but also to put it on display for the world to see and to extend it to people beyond us. And verse 10 kind of inclines us to that. Verse 10 says, this is how we've been made this, is, uh, this has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This is the gospel. This is the story of Jesus Christ, the good news. And here, even in this verse, it's awesome because you have kind of the full gospel here, right? He appeared. He appeared. This is the incarnation that God became man, that son became twig, to use our terminology of the day. It's the most dramatic event in all of nature, in all of history, in all of time. All, it's the most dramatic event that has ever, ever happened, that God became man, right? And he became man, and then he lived a perfect life, but then he defeated death. He abolished death. Right? He lived life, he, lived, he, he died a sacrificial death, and then he had a victorious resurrection three days later. And in that, he brought life. Right? The Bible promises abundant life now in Christ Jesus. Right? But not only that, but he brought immortality, eternal life forever for those who believe in him. This is it. This is the good news. This is what we believe in. This is what we celebrate. And the good news should now move from us into the lives of others. Again, as Brett said last week, nothing that God has ever done for you was meant to end with you. And to kind of wind this down, listen, as a pastor, I've been, I've been in this game here at FBN for nearly 15 years now. And I, I feel like at some point in time you just start noticing trends. And, and especially in this context, since it's really the only pastoral context I know, there are trends that you start to see. Trends in people's faith. Right? Certainly trends uh, uh, um, as they pursue the Lord and as you notice hang-ups, you notice barriers that get in the way of people's full pursuit of Jesus. Right? And you have certainly the belief barriers. Right? People who don't believe that Jesus is God. Right? That's the fundamental belief that sets us apart from every other religion out there is that we actually believe Jesus is God. 
right? He is God. That's what separates us from every other faith. And you also have other fundamental beliefs within the faith, like justification by faith. We don't believe there's anything you can do to earn salvation. There's no work. There's no ordinance that you can just do. And if you do that, then you are right before God. It is purely an act uh, of his working and our faith to believe in his work. But there's also other barriers. I kind of would think of these as barriers uh, of burden, right? People burdened to just become more and more like Jesus Christ and to know him more. It's a personal pursuit. It's a a burden where there are people who take their sin very seriously and they are active in this sanctifying work. And they're always trying to submit their attitude to Christ and become more humble. And they do church really good and they do, uh, they have great quiet times and they're trying to leave their, their, their home and their families. Right? That's a great that's a great thing. There's a lot of other people who don't step into that active faith at all. So that's their barrier. Is it's just there's no burden, right? They, there's just no passion. But the most interesting burden, or the most un- interesting barrier that I find myself in, and in many people in the church, is simply the barrier um, of having any burden for the world. In fact, I know plenty of people whose theology is sound. Myself included, I feel like my theology is pretty good. I hope so, right? I'm in this position. It probably should be okay, right? Theology is okay. Burden for, for the Lord, to know the Lord and to become more like him, good. But somehow, whenever it comes to just sharing the hope of the gospel with the lost, it's like a cement wall is just built up sky high. Just a giant barrier built with the mortar of, of shame and, and fear and timidity and all of these things that get in the way of any of us sharing. I mean, we are a pious people. We love the Lord. We love pursuing the Lord. But what, one of the common barriers I come across, even in myself, is that we just have no burden to let that salvation come from us into the lives of other people. And what does that say about how immense we truly feel our salvation is? I mean, if you've been truly saved from hell, from the the system of Satan and this world into eternal life, wouldn't we share it more? I mean, wouldn't we get it out there more if we really believe that? We should. And that's kind of what I wanted to focus on at the end here is that when you talk about the immense nature of the salvation of Christ that we have in our hearts, right, How does that immense nature of our salvation speak to your faith, spiritual burden, uh, barrier? How is your barrier impacted by the immense nature of salvation, right? Certainly sharing the gospel is a barrier for so many people, right? But there's also plenty of other barriers out there, silent sins that have just crippled your walk with the Lord. You've been dealing with it for 10 years. Call it whatever you want. It's a secret addiction or some porn addiction or, you know, whatever your little silent thing is that not many other people know, it's, it's, it's holding you back. You're crippled, right? Maybe that's your barrier. Maybe you have some serious humility attitude issue going on. I don't know what it is. Maybe it is a belief issue. Maybe you're here today and you're like, justification by faith, I don't, I don't even know if Jesus is God, man. Like, I just thought he was a prophet before I came in here. I just thought he was a good dude before I came here. You know, like I thought he was just a good example. Like you have a huge belief barrier. And for you, that belief barrier is actually keeping you from heaven. Right? But you've heard the immense nature of the salvation of Jesus Christ today. And so you have a chance 
to respond to that barrier with the nature of the salvation that God has offered us in Christ Jesus. Whatever your barrier is, you have a chance to respond to that. And so that's what I want to end on. The question for today, how might the immense nature of salvation in Christ Jesus speak to your particular faith hang-up, your particular barrier of faith, whether it's a matter of belief or a matter of personal burden or burden for the gospel. And listen, in general, if you're here and you believe in Jesus Christ, I do pray most of all that you are just simply encouraged to know the salvation that you claim because of the blood of Jesus Christ. I pray that you are emboldened in your faith and that your love for Jesus grows and that you are encouraged to live for him and to share his wonderful salvation to those who so desperately need it. Because listen, this is what we have been called to since before time began. So let's submit our barriers to him and let's start moving forward. Let's heed this call because he's done all the work so we can do it freely. Right? Let's pray. Our God, thank you so much for the salvation that you have given us. We are encouraged today, God. We're humbled today. God, we ask that you would take the work of your word and that you would use it to just incline our hearts, that you would pinpoint those barriers that we have and that you would let the immense nature of your salvation uh, speak to that particular barrier and, and guide us in, and show us how to overcome that. Father, it's not a question that we can that we can answer in just a moment, but each of us have very different things going on, but God, you are big enough and you are capable enough to speak to each and every one of our issues with the immense nature of salvation against those barriers that are holding us back. So God, I pray that you would just do some real work in our hearts today to overcome. God, do some real work in our hearts today to use the salvation of Jesus to draw us deeper into becoming more like him and sharing him with others who so desperately need him. We understand that you've called us to this, and we take great encouragement in that. So God, use all of this today for your glory and for your purpose and in accordance with your grace. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Well, we're just going to use this time, this time of worship as a continuation, really, of, of all that we've heard, a little bit of recap of it, too. So um, the cool thing about uh, this room right now is that there's people on every side of this. Um, as Adam mentioned, there's some of us here that don't even know the Lord as our Savior, and uh, we've heard the gospel. There's a lot of us here who have a long relationship with him, um, but it, you know, it feels like, at least for me, the longer that I've known him, the easier it is for me to become complacent and apathetic and a little lazy in my life, in my pursuit of him. Uh, but how great a reminder of the immense nature of our salvation, how wide and big the gap was that separated us from the Lord, and how Jesus stepped in. So uh, I want to invite you to stand. Let's sing this song together. And, man, if you need to go to the Lord, if you need to believe in him, if you need to give him something, let's do that today.